Amen. Well, we're starting a new series. Um, we are looking at five things, five different topics over five weeks, all of which we believe are absolutely fundamental to what God's shaped us to be as a church. They're five things we believe are part of our history and they're part of our future. All of them follow on from the Easter story, actually, but they're all part of who God is shaping and shaped us to be. I was in a meeting uh, recently where I was asked a particular question about uh, time with Jesus. And uh, another leader said, if you had an opportunity to have a face-to-face meeting with Jesus, and he knew well that we can chat to Jesus at any point, but he said, if you had the opportunity for a face-to-face meeting with Jesus, and he was going to encourage you with one thing and <laughs> challenge you with one thing, what would he say? And then he paused. And we waited. And we prayed. And we thought, what would Jesus challenge us with one thing and encourage us with one thing? And uh, I want to just think about that as we go through this message today. I've got a few bits to share from the book of Acts. Um, uh, but I've put a sofa up here because, you know, that, that guy was talking about a meeting with Jesus where you could enc- he could encourage us and challenge us with one particular thing. But if I'd said to you, who would you like to spend time with and have a one-to-one with, your mind might have gone to all sorts of people. You might have been thinking about Jesus because you're very spiritual and you're in church and it's Sunday, but you might have thought of a whole range of other folk. I know we've got people with great sporting interest here and you might have thought, I'd love to have sat with that sports person from recently or from years ago just to find out what their story was like, to find out about that incredible victory or that challenging defeat. We've got business people here, you you may have thought, I'd love an hour with a brilliant business mind to be able to help me unpack the next stage of strategy for my business or for my career. I'd love just an hour to, to unpack with them what it would mean, how they got to where they were. We've got some historians here, people who love uh, stories of the past and reading and learning about <clears throat> what's happened years ago. And Maybe you'd have wanted to spend some time with a historical figure of some note to, to, to just glean from some insights into their story. You've read the biography, you've, you've, you've watched the film, but what was it really like to be there? What was it really like to be in that moment, to have an hour or so with that person? Well, I, I, want to, I do want to look at this, this presence of Jesus that we can possibly experience today, but also the early disciples experiencing this time with Jesus after Easter. And we're going to look at the early part of the book of Acts to get into where we need to go today. But I just want you to imagine we've just had Easter. It was only last week. I know your chocolates are finished and it seems like weeks ago. Um, but Easter was only last Sunday. How many of you got chocolate left? Anybody? Oh, wow. That's self-control, that is. Okay, just put your hands up again. If you haven't got chocolate left, take a look at all those with hands up. And now just think about the Christian principle of generosity and sharing and go and encourage them later on. They, they probably need your help in just offloading some of that. So just, you know, it's for their figure, it's for their health. So um, Easter was only last week. And what we can easily do is pack that away and move on. And go, oh, yeah, we've done Easter. Because we are living in the fullness of Resurrection Sunday every day. We're living in the freedom of that. But I want to just pause for a moment and look at this early part of the book of Acts. It says this, as Luke writes, In my first book I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. 
During the 40 days after his crucifixion, he appeared to the apostles from time to time and proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. John baptized with water. Within just a few days, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Wouldn't that have been cool to be in on those conversations? Wouldn't it? To think that as Jesus is talking with his disciples, you get to hang out with him. Not only is he just risen from the dead, that's pretty impressive. Tombs blown open. He's there. He's alive. He's, he's telling truth. He's teaching you. But wouldn't you want to kind of listen to what he's saying? In that moment, these, these precious days that they've got with Jesus, incredible times really, as, as he's unpacking to them the kingdom of God and he's proving to them that he's alive. In his resurrection appearances, Jesus doesn't appear to go to non-Christians. He appears to go to those who were his followers and he convinces them who already believe that he's risen from the dead. You might think, well, why didn't he go to some famous people and tell them that he'd risen? That wasn't his plan. Jesus' plan and method was to go to those who believed, those who'd followed him, and show them that he'd proved himself to be true and that they might carry that message to others. Jesus talking about the kingdom of God and then goes on to promise that they would be baptized with the Holy Spirit. They'd receive God's presence with them day by day by day. And I want to talk about this sense of the promise of God's presence because the first one of five that we're talking about is of these five little blobs I've got on the screen is the presence of God and prayer. I'm cheating because I've got two in one uh, here. Presence of God and prayer because I believe that part of our church's history, and I'm going to include Broadmead into that, part of our church's history is that we're centered on the presence of God. We believe in and want to experience and want to know a present day encounter with God. We love history. We love the stories. We, we love stories of what God's done in the past, but we, our, church is a, our church is built on what God is doing today. 90 years old we are this year. Not just Doreen, but our church. And she hasn't been here all that time. She's been all over the world in that time. But we're 90 years old this year. And that's exciting. But we were started out of a group of people praying. It's often older ladies for some reason. I'm not sure why. But praying and seeking God together. And then uh, people coming to preach the gospel. People getting saved. People getting healed. And a present day encounter with God. Founded on a belief that God wasn't just confined to the history books. But was active and working today that the Spirit of God could be moving today, that the stories that were in the Bible text could come alive today. And that's part of our church's DNA. It's not just our history, but it's our present and it's our future too. That we can have a present day encounter with God. Now that might seem normal today, and I hope it does. I hope nobody's shocked by that. But 90 years ago, that was a bit of a surprise to some people. That wasn't necessarily the everyday experience of every church that was around. And so that was new and fresh and different. And that's why we're here today. Let's talk about the promise of God's presence. As we go back into the Old Testament, the beginning part of the Bible, we read about the Spirit of God moving uh, through the pages of the Bible story. In the creation narrative in Genesis chapter 1, we read that uh, God 
was created, had created the, was creating the heavens and the earth, and in the beginning God created all things. It says, the earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters, and the Spirit of God was hovering, not hoovering, hovering over the surface of the waters. The Spirit of God hovering over the surface of the waters. So we see right at the beginning of creation, God's Spirit, breath, breathing, moving over creation. We see as God creates man in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7. It says, And the Lord God formed the man, he's going to create woman in just a moment, formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. That, that word, the Hebrew word breath, is the same as spirit. There's this connection between uh, what God is breathing out and this animating breath that comes into the man. He's made in the image of God. And actually, not only that, but Adam and Eve, the early created people, were, were made in relationship with God. And so there's this sense of union with God and relationship with God and closeness with God and proximity to God where they were made to know him. And what happens in the Bible story is that that relationship's fractured. It's broken through sin. It's broken through pride. It's broken through mankind saying, we're going to go our own way. And in a sense, sticking two fingers up at God and saying, stuff you. You do your thing, I'll do mine. They don't do it like that. It's not quite as rude as that. But that's the effect of it. And there's this separation then between people and God. And all through the Old Testament, God keeps appearing in different ways. The Spirit of God working and empowering people. God manifesting himself and turning up and being present in different ways again and again and again and again and again as we go through the story. Moments where God appears to Moses or Abraham or Isaac or Jacob or different people. Powerfully appearing. Comes upon the prophets with uh, the, the Spirit of God anointing them to speak prophetically. These amazing occasions when God turns up. But in each occasion it's temporary. And it's confined to only a few people. And this promise that we're going to just see in a, in a moment again is incredibly powerful because Jesus is saying you will be, all of you will be baptized, dunked in, immersed in the Holy Spirit. Uh, not just as a one-off, not just as a, as a one person prophetically speaking to the whole nation, not just as one person raised up as a judge to set the people free, not just as one person to lead like Moses did and speak to the whole people, but all of you are going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. This was an incredible thing. You see, in the Old Testament, people knew God's presence, but they also knew God going. One of the saddest verses in the Old Testament is this, in Judges 16, verse 20. And this is a guy called Samson, who, very strong, deliverer of Israel, but he's got a, a little problem with his affections for certain ladies. And that leads him into trouble on repeated occasions. On this particular occasion, he's ended up giving away the secret, so he thinks, of his strength. And some people, he's been bound up. Uh, some people have come to seize him. And previously, he's been able to break free and set himself free because God has been with him. And this is one of the saddest verses. It's when he woke up, he thought, I will do as before and shake myself free. But he didn't. Realize the Lord had left him. Wow. 
it's sad not just because he, he gets bound up, his eyes gouged, eyes gouged out and he's taken prisoner. It's sad because he hadn't realized that God had left him. He'd woken up and just assumed that everything was going to be as it was before and it wasn't. Everything was different and, and he'd missed the manifest presence of God. And we get this sense through the Old Testament that it's possible to lose the presence of God, to lose that, that closeness in God's presence. Not only is it only for a few, but it's then te- temporary. And Jesus is saying, as he did to his disciples through John's gospel and elsewhere, I'm going to send you another comforter, another one just like me, and he'll, he'll represent me. The Holy Spirit, he'll teach you everything and remind you of everything I've done. He'll remain with you. There's this sense of, of a promised one who's going to come and be with the disciples and all Christians for all time. That they're no longer going to have this sense of, of, is God staying or is he going? Is it just one person that God's anointing? But no, God's going to empower all people who are his. He's going to call us all to be part of this prophetic people. This promise is for us too. It may be that you've never known God's presence intimately. You've known about him, you've heard about him, you've read some Bible stories, but you've never personally known God's presence intimately. I want to encourage you today, you can. You can know him today. You can leave this place different from how you came in, knowing God and his presence intimately in your life. Why? Because Jesus made that possible for us today. If you've known him in the past and you're saying to yourself as you're sitting here listening to me talking about God's presence, oh, not this topic again, where's God in my life? Where is he? You've known his presence, you're aware of him a huge amount, but you're not sure where he is now. My encouragement to you is that God is still available and he's actually still with you. It may be that you've got distracted. It may be that circumstances have come in. It it may be that you've got busy, your lifestyle's changed, uh, you've had kids and you've got no time left or work's changed or something's different in your life and things are different and you've not found a new pattern yet of finding God's presence in your day-to-day life. It may be even that our hearts have grown cold because we've become over-familiar with God or we've lost our appetite. But it isn't because God's run away. It isn't because God's left you. It's not because God's moved away. It's because he's calling us deeper, if anything. His promise through Jesus is still being fulfilled. It may be that you've been hurting and you've been asking the question, God, where were you when I was hurting? Where were you then? When I went through that difficult situation, where were you when my life was a mess? And my encouragement today is not that God promises bad things will never happen. It's that God promises he'll never leave you when they do. That he's not ashamed when we are. That he doesn't walk out when we feel he should. That when you're covered in shame and you're thinking, ah, oh, this stuff that's happened, or you're in pain, and you're thinking, wow, this stuff I've had to walk through, God doesn't distance himself from you. He will remain with you. Evidence for that is found in the story of Joseph who who ends up in prison. He has a whole series of misadventures and ends up in prison. And his, his testimony is God meant it for good. And God's with him through the darkest of times. And his presence is there promoting him again and again. Jonah, one of God's prophets who the Bible tells us a story about him being swallowed by a great big fish. And he's, he's vomited up onto a beach. Isn't that a lovely image? 
as a prophet of God. You're, you're there, you've got a message, and you're now covered in fish gut and vomit. And you're going to go and speak to the people. You'd be, he was grumpy, you'd be grumpy. But God never left him. As he cried out to God from the belly of the fish, he said, God, remember me. And God did remember him. He was never forgotten. The disciples, when they were bereft and wondering where was God in their storm, found Jesus risen and appearing to them. My encouragement, as from Jesus, is that God wants us to encounter him. My challenge is that God wants us to encounter him. And maybe it's a first time, maybe it's a second time, maybe it's a fresh time. But God wants you to encounter him today. Find him. Next. The promise of God's presence. I've missed out a slide, but that's okay. I want to leave that one on there. I want us to say that the presence of God uh, and the way that Jesus promises the Holy Spirit is new. I mentioned what God's done in the Old Testament, and it's new. God's doing a new thing for a new generation. Acts chapter 1, we're reading from where Jesus is promising that the Holy Spirit will come. Acts chapter 2, we read the story of how the Holy Spirit turns up on the day of Pentecost and people's lives are never the same again. But that's not the end of the story. Acts chapter 4, we read again that the Holy Spirit comes again and people's lives are again changed, that they're filled again with the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 8, we read that this church who's been empowered, who's been sent on mission, who's been filled with the Holy Spirit, but they've never gone anywhere, is then suffering persecution. And what happens is that the church is split up and fragmented. The apostles stay in Jerusalem because there's a persecution that arises and the church is scattered and it's only then because of persecution that the gospel is preached where people who are untrained go and plant new churches, where people who, are, who aren't apostles go and start new churches, where people who aren't the 12 disciples who spent time with Jesus go and plant new churches and share the gospel and carry the Spirit of God. They go to new areas, fleeing for their life and yet taking the life of Jesus with them to bring hope to others. So God is doing a new thing again and again and again. Our church is already very different this year from how it was last year. It's going to be very different again very soon. It's a fresh start for all of us. If we're part of this church, everything is going to change. Why? Because God is doing something new. Why is he doing something new? Because he's always been doing something new. And he keeps on doing something new. And he's not going to stop doing something new because that's his promise to his people. God is doing something new today. And that's my encouragement. My challenge is that we should ask God, what are you doing that's new for me? What, what's new for me? Where's my part in this? What's my part in your story? What, is it, what are you doing that you want to do that's new in my life? Because I believe there are steps that God wants people here to take that are new, that you've not taken before. And it might look a bit scary. And you might not feel ready for it. You might not feel equipped, but there's steps that God's calling you to take. And he's saying, now's the time. Take the step. What's he got for you? Thirdly, I, I, I don't like quizzes. don't like word searches. don't like crosswords. They tax my little brain too much. I do like playing Spot the Difference. I used to do that one because that was easy. You didn't have to think. You just have to look at a picture. Ten differences between one picture and another. Find them and you win. Dead easy. 
If people were to look at one of us, let's assume we're all Christians here. I never normally make that assumption, but for this illustration, I'm going to make that assumption. Let's assume that we're all following Jesus. And people were to, we were to go around the town and people were to look at us in our workplace or in our home or when we're out shopping and they would get to get to know us a little bit and they were to play spot the difference between our life and theirs, what would they notice? What would they notice? You see, I've got a conviction that's burning inside me that those who know Jesus, those who are filled with the Spirit, are carriers of the presence of God. I've got a conviction burning inside me that the stories we read in the Old Testament going through from creation right the way through to Malachi, the stories of God's incredible presence where he shows up and people are quaking and and, and awestruck and wondering how they can survive because the presence of God is so strong. And then we come to the New Testament and we see these early disciples as people who are filled with God's Spirit. I've got a conviction that we actually carry the presence of God with us wherever we go. The Bible talks about us, us being the uh, temple of the Holy Spirit. That God doesn't dwell anymore in buildings made by hands. We talk about going to church to meet with God. He's with us every day. We talk about, we talk about kind of the presence of God is here. He's, he was with me before I came. We know he's here in a particular way when we meet together, but he's, he's with me all the time. Because I'm a presence carrier, but I wonder sometimes if my life was compared to somebody else's, if there would be enough differences to justify me believing that to be true. There was a time in the Old Testament when God spoke to Moses and told him to go into the promised land to lead the people. And they'd been rebellious again. And God said, well, go, I'll give you the land, but, but I'm not coming with you. And Moses and the people repent. They say, oh God, how, how could this be the case? How could we go and you not go with us? And there's this phrase from Exodus 33 verse 16. It says this, how will anyone know that you look favorably on me and on me and on your people if you don't go with us? For your presence among us sets your people and me apart from all other people on the earth. Your presence sets me apart. Folks, I believe that we're it's called to be presence carriers, that we're called to carry the presence of God with us, that the, the gift of the Holy Spirit is not just for meetings. It's not just for us to feel good and kind of have some kind of initiation ceremony. It's that, that God might be with us day after day after day after day, that his presence would set us apart. There's a passage in Acts chapter 4 where these early disciples had been preaching and, and telling people about Jesus and some members of the council, the ruling council, got upset about this. And they'd arrested Peter and John. And they'd brought them in for questioning. And the Bible tells us that the, they were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. For they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the Scriptures. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. Ordinary men with no special training in the Scriptures. But they recognized that they'd been with Jesus. I wonder if people can see that we've been with Jesus. Today, there are people in our community, 
engineers, project managers, accountants, investment bankers, solicitors, homemakers, plumbers, <laughs> electricians, people who are single, married, divorced, widowed, <clears throat> all of whom need the presence of God. If they believe in Jesus and are filled with his spirit, all of them carry the presence of God. In the early church, as they met, lives were changed. There's a ridiculous story. Not ridiculous because it's worthy of ridicule. I'm not using that word literally. I'm using it metaphorically. But ridiculous because it just stretches our expectations of what God can do. This is those early disciples again. Uh, and it says, as the result of the apostles' work, sick people were brought out into the streets on beds and mats so that Peter's shadow might fall across some of them as he went by. Crowds came from the villages around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those possessed by evil spirits, and they were all healed. This, doesn't this blow your mind? Let's be honest. I mean, uh, we need to be honest when we approach Scripture. Sometimes there's a big gap between our experience and the pages of Scripture. Uh, and some people go, well, there's a gap, so this can't be true. I don't want to do that. I want to say there's a gap, so I've, I've got some way to go. I've got some aspiration. I've got something to aim for. But I read this, and I know this is the early days of the church. I know this is formative years. I know God's doing something distinct and particular here. But, but I've never had people lying down to catch my shadow. Have you? On your way here, did you find as you were coming from Costa or wherever it was you came from on the way that people were just kind of trying to lie down on the floor as you walked past? Why did they do that here? Let's, let's not dwell on our lack. Why did they do that here? It's because they recognized something that these guys were carrying that made a difference potentially in their lives. Now, it might be superstition that's causing them to lie down in shadows because there's no need to do that. They could get prayed for or all sorts of other ways that God could do it. But they're, but they're doing this and, and people are getting healed as a result. As Peter and the other guys just go about their day-to-day -day business, they're just on their way to a prayer meeting or on their way back or on their way to meet with other people. People need the presence of God and we carry it. So my encouragement is that we carry the presence of God. My challenge is, what difference does God want to make through you and through me, through us? Finally, the bit on prayer. Those early disciples, Peter and John, as they were on trial, they went back to the other Christians and they presented a report. And the Bible says that all the believers lifted their voices together in prayer to God. O sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth. And they carry on praying and their prayer goes on for a little while. And they ask for boldness. They actually say, give us boldness to proclaim your word. Not... not Stretch out your hand, they say, with healing power that more miraculous signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And it says this, after they, oh, sorry, I've missed that slide, haven't I? After they prayed, it says, the meeting place shook and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they preached the word of God with boldness. There's a close connection between prayer and the presence of God. There's a close connection throughout Scripture. Uh, which is a result of intentionally filling ourselves with God's word, intentionally humbling ourselves before God, intentionally spending time with God. When we fill ourselves with, his, his, with an awareness of him, we become more aware of his presence. As we become more aware of his presence, we become more aware of his holiness. As we become more aware of his holiness and his goodness and his greatness and his love and his 
unfathomable mercies towards us, we're overwhelmed and touched by the presence of God. And he begins to transform our thinking and our heart and our action. And as we begin to be transformed by the presence of God in the private place, so God's presence transforms our public actions. We, we dare to believe that God can work through us. We dare to believe that as we go to uni, as we go to work, as we go back home, as we're talking to our wonderful relatives that we love dearly that never wind us up, ever, that Jesus can make a difference in their lives too because he's with us. We dare to believe that when we're with someone who's sick, we can pray and expect God to act. But all of that comes out of that place of prayer and intimacy with Jesus. And it's not about the length of time you spend, but about the depth of conversation that you have. All of us will have had those moments when you get together with a good friend you've not seen for many years. You had those times? And it feels as if you've never been apart. It's great, isn't it? You, you catch up after four years, five years, ten years, and the conversation's just like it was last time you met. It's wonderful, it's familiar, but there's a problem with that. The problem is that four or five years have gone by and you've missed out a whole chunk of your life. And the, the friendship's good, it's, it, but it's, it's surface and familiar. Because you've not traveled through the five years of muck and pain and joy and heartbreak and celebration and delight and all of that stuff that's gone between. You've picked up where you left off. And you've got some catching up to do. How are the kids? How's the job? How's Great. And a couple of hours go by and you spend a good time having conversation, but you've not necessarily caught up on everything that's happened. Why? Because there's no intimacy. There's familiarity, but no intimacy. And some of us have that kind of relationship with God where there's familiarity, but no intimacy. And to be presence carriers, to be people where we're carrying the presence of God willingly, joyfully, gladly, confidently, we need to be in that place of intimacy with God. And that doesn't require you to pack up your job and, and, and pack up looking after the kids and pack up everything else and just pray. But it does require us to pray. And it does require us to be honest with God. And it does require us to pray the kind of prayers that David prays in the, in the Psalms when he's saying, God, my life's a mess, I need you. Well, God, my life's brilliant. Thank you. It requires us to press into that place of intimacy that we might know God's presence. So my encouragement there is that God, that we can help promote our own awareness of God's presence. My challenge is that if you want to start seeing God at work more, we need to start talking to him more and hearing from him more and saying with humility, Lord, teach me your ways. What do we do with all this? I know I've covered a lot of scripture today and it's been a, it's kind of a foundational message I think for the other four that are going to come uh, so they'd be focused on application. And, but here, when we're talking about the presence of God and prayer, I want to just remind us that we were birthed as a group of people. None of us were here then, but we were birthed as a group of people to carry the presence of God into this community. This town and the towns around it need to know Jesus. They need a manifest, the manifest presence of God. They need the presence of God poured out. They need to see God at work in powerful, amazing, rich ways. That's why we're here. It's why we're in this town and in this community. But God's got more for us than we've currently seen. Personally, I want to live with an increasing boldness, an increasing passion, an increasing devotion, and increasing awareness that I'm carrying the presence of God. 
So challenge one, it's time to encounter the presence of God. Challenge two, I want each of us to ask what God is doing that's new today for us. Challenge three, ask what difference God wants to make through you. Challenge four, if you want to start seeing God at work more, then pray.